It's time for America Outdoors Radio, the show that covers the outdoor scene across the U.S. of A. and the entire continent. Fishing, hunting, conservation, outdoor recreation, and great destinations, we cover it all every week. It's your country, your outdoors. Let's explore it together with your host, John Cruz. Welcome to the show. It's fall, and unfortunately, that means an increase in bear encounters and attacks to include a fatal one in Banff National Park in Alberta, Canada. Last week, a grizzly bear attacked and killed two hikers and their dog inside Banff National Park. Parks Canada officials were first notified of the bear attack around 8 p.m. on September 29th when they received an emergency alert from a Garmin in-reach device. Unfortunately, a response team didn't arrive to the location of the hikers until 1 a.m., and when they did, they found two deceased individuals and their deceased dog. They also encountered the grizzly bear that was displaying aggressive behavior near them, and they euthanized the bear on site. My thanks to Outdoor Life for information for this story. Another bear attack occurred in the lower 48, where a woman was hospitalized in an encounter with a bear last Sunday near the U.S.-Canada border north of Pole Bridge in Flathead County, Montana. At about 3 p.m. on October 1st, Fish, Wildlife, and Park staff were notified that a woman was attacked along the bank of Trail Creek a few miles west of the North Fork Road. The victim was on National Forest Service land with her husband and dog when the bear emerged from thick brush and attacked her. Her husband did deploy bear spray, and the bear moved away from the victim when he did. They returned to their vehicle and drove to a location where they could call emergency services. Montana Fish, Wildlife, and Parks has some advice for those of you who are in bear country, especially hunters. Number one, carry bear spray. Be prepared to use it immediately. And when it comes to carrying bear spray, make sure it is accessible. Make sure you are practiced in drawing it from the holster, removing the safety so that muscle memory goes into effect because if you've never done it before, being charged by a grizzly bear is not the first time you should do this. Look for bear sign and be cautious around creeks and areas with limited visibility. If you're hunting, hunt with a group of people and making localized noise can alert bears to your presence and not surprise them. Be aware that elk calls and cover scents can actually attract bears and bring the equipment and people needed to help field dress game and remove the meat from the kill site as soon as possible. If you need to leave part of the meat in the field during processing, hang it at least 10 feet off the ground and at least 150 yards from the gut pile. And when you return, observe the meat with binoculars. If it's been disturbed or if a bear's in the area, leave and call your local state fish and wildlife agency. Good advice indeed for hunters this fall. This week on the show, we've got some great guests for you. Our first guest today will be Katie Luke, who's going to tell you about an organization called Hope for the Warriors and the Warriors Wish Program that is helping combat veterans with wishes so they can enjoy the outdoors. Robbie Denning the author of a couple of great books about hunting mule deer and a host of a podcast at rockslide.com, will join us to share some last-minute scouting tips that'll work not just for mule deer, but any kind of deer you're hunting this fall. Charity Mullenweg with Major League Fishing will tell you about some invitational tournaments that you can watch on CBS Sports Saturday mornings at 9 a.m. this fall and break down all the different tournament circuits that Major League Fishing has because there is a lot of them. Finally, we'll talk to Dr. Tommy Floyd, the president of the National Archery in the Schools program, about this really unique program that gets school-aged kids into archery and all the other benefits that come out of this program beyond shooting a bow and arrow. 
Better still, we've got an update about the Department of Education's decision to halt federal funding for this program. It looks like this is turning around thanks to some help from Congress. This portion of the show is brought to you by our friends at Henry Repeating Arms. And if you are in the market for a new rifle, well, you can't do any better than a rifle from Henry Repeating Arms. They are all built right here in the USA. They're all rugged, they're reliable, they're accurate right out of the box, and they look fantastic. There's over 200 models to choose from in terms of rifles, shotguns, and now handguns too. So check out the entire lineup at henryusa.com. That's henryusa.com. And don't forget to ask for your free stickers and catalog while you're there. Next up, we've got Katie Luke on the line. She's coming at us today from North Carolina, and she works for an organization called Hope for the Warriors that does some really good things for our veterans. Katie, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. So let's start things off by having you tell folks about Hope for the Warriors. What is this nonprofit organization all about? Absolutely. So Hope for the Words is a, a national nonprofit, and we are dedicated to restoring stability, strength, and community for our military families um, around the nation. So kind of what that looks like um, as far as stability goes, we have programs that focus on financial wellness, career and educational support for service members and their families. As far as strength goes, we focus on programs that involve physical and emotional wellness through like our clinical support services programs and our sports and recreational opportunities we have across the nation. And lastly, our community programs, which is what Warriors Wish falls under. We look to build communities through connection, peer-to-peer support, whether that be veteran-to-veteran or veteran-to-service member, just engagement and mentorship programs. So we encompass a, a broad goal is just improving quality of life for veterans and their family. So do you serve all veterans or is it just like combat vets or post 9-11 combat vets? We are post 9-11 combat veterans. We do have some programs that don't need combat service involved, um, but mostly our community is post 9-11. Understood. And that's great. Now let's talk about the Warriors Wish program that you're involved with. Go ahead and, and tell me what this is about. So our Warriors Wish program, we like to focus on improving quality of life beyond recovery for service members. So a veteran will come to us and request a wish, and that wish we like to look with a singular goal is to create a better quality of life. So whether that be adaptive equipment, requests, hobbies so they can improve their quality of life. For example, like a shed and woodworking tools for veterans who like to woodwork. We have e-bikes, exercise equipment, treadmills, a veteran wanted kayaks to get out in nature. So we just look to improve the veteran's quality of life. That's our main goal with the Warriors Wish program. Now, I know some programs that have wishes, like Make-A-Wish program, they don't do hunting. But Hope for the Warriors, with the Warriors Wish program, does do hunting. And recently, a veteran named Theo Golden, who spent a couple of tours in Iraq, was helped out by your program. Yeah, so Theo came to us and put in an application to our Warriors Wish program. And his request was an Oracle Stealth Crossbow. 
So he had some physical injuries from his time in service that made hunting with a regular bow that, you know, that pull back much more difficult physically on his body. But he knew he loved to be out in the woods. It improved his PTSD, his mental health. And he really wanted to get active again in veteran organizations and hunting. So he requested a crossbow that had some adaptions to fit his needs. And that's what he requested from our organization. And he was approved of that wish and it was granted to him this summer. That is fantastic. Another veteran you helped out lives in Kansas and she got, what, a side-by-side and she also loves to hunt? Yeah, Sherry, she's actually in Missouri. She is an Army veteran, and she has a farm, and she requested a side-by-side all-terrain vehicle. She had a lot of goals with on her farm for this machine. And I know she hosts a veteran, female veteran support group. They do, like, campfires, and she had a lot of goals. So, yes, last year we granted her a UTV so she could fulfill, you know, her goals beyond just, you know, her basic farm needs. Well, this sounds absolutely fantastic. And folks, Hope for the Warriors has actually granted nearly 253 wishes, totally more than $2.5 million for our post-9-11 combat vets. And if you want to help out or get involved, or if you are a post-9-11 combat vet and you want to make a wish, the website to go to is hopeforthewarriors.org. That's Hope for the warriors.org. Katie, thanks for what you do and thanks for sharing this with us today on America Outdoors Radio. Yes, absolutely. Thank you for having me. Immerse yourself in a complete Alaska wilderness experience through Sportsman's Cove Lodge. Up to six of you will spend a week in a beautiful waterfront log home in a secluded cove. Every day is a new adventure. Go on a guided fishing trip or haul in a bounty of shrimp and crab. Visit a Native American village where totem poles are carved. Go on a whale or bear watching trip and return back to your very own place at the end of the day. Find out more about the Alaska wilderness experience at alaskasbestlodge.com. That's alaskasbestlodge.com. Come explore the Dalles in Oregon for outdoors fun. Hike amongst the wildflowers, bike our riverfront trail, or visit the Gorge Discovery Center where you can enjoy a live raptor display. Or even check out our National Neon Sign Museum. But don't forget the fishing. We've got salmon, steelhead, bass, walleye, and monster-sized sturgeon waiting just for you. When the day is done, tell those tall tales at one of our wineries, breweries, or restaurants and plan your next adventure. Find out more at explorethedalles.com. Campers, adventure seekers, hunters, and foodies. No matter the lifestyle, we can all agree on one thing. Great food and great people are worth remembering. At Camp Chef, we don't just make grills. We create each product knowing that a warm meal is always better when it's shared with those we love. Learn more about Camp Chef grills, smokers, and portable cooking equipment at CampChef.com. That's CampChef.com for a better way to cook outdoors. Hunt of a Lifetime is a nationwide nonprofit organization 
dedicated to providing hunting and fishing trips to youth 21 and under who suffer from life-threatening illnesses and disabilities. These adventures make big differences in the lives of those who participate in them, and in many cases are literally a dream come true that brings hope and therapy to their lives. Find out more, get involved, or donate today at huntofalifetime.org. That's huntofalifetime.org. huntofalifetime.org. You're back in with America Outdoors Radio. I'm John Cruz. We've got Charity Muhlenweg on the line. She's with Major League Fishing. we got some very interesting news for you. Major League Fishing's 2023 Tackle Warehouse Invitationals are now airing on CBS Sports every Saturday morning at 9 a.m. Charity, welcome to the show. Hi, John. Thanks for having me. Well, I've wanted to have somebody on from Major League Fishing for a while now. I had Joe, your co-worker, on, but it's been a bit. <laughs> and I want to let our listeners know a little bit about Major League Fishing. I think everyone's aware of the your competitor, BASS. But Major League Fishing started back in 2016, and it's not just one tournament circuit. You've got a whole bunch of them, don't you? We do. We do. We have six total circuits now, um, ranging from high school all the way up through weekend anglers up to our Bass Pro Tour, which is our most prestigious circuit. Why don't you run through the circuits? Uh, so you mentioned the high school one, but what else do you have? Yeah, so we have the high school fishing, obviously, is our, is our lowest circuit where um, high school anglers all across the country are fishing with us. Then they can move into our Abu Garcia College Fishing Circuit, kind of the same thing. They fish through their university, and they have lots of passive advancement up you know, to the other circuits through through all of these. From there is the Phoenix Bass Fishing League, which is our basically weekend anglers, our grassroots, and we have hundreds of those tournaments all over the country and different regional events all around. And then from there goes up to our Toyota Series, which is kind of our, what I would say, semi-pro. You know, they can qualify into the Toyota Series from the other leagues up to that moves into the Tackle Warehouse Invitationals, which you were just referencing, that is airing now on CBS Sports for this year, and then up to our Bass Pro Tour, which is our most prestigious circuit. And then in with all of that, those are our six main circuits, and then we do also have the General Tire Team Series, which used to be the MLF Cups, and that's where we actually started that first one was actually filmed in 2011. It goes back a little bit farther, and I think those started airing in 2012. And those just last year kind of transitioned over. They, they were just cup events. They were shot in the dark. They were not live streamed. They weren't, you know, no one knew where we were. They were just filmed for production. And now, as of this year, or last year, those turned into team sports. So now we have three-man teams on the Journal Tire Team Series that are shot in the dark and are broadcast into the next year. Very cool. So that's kind of a, a very broad overview. <laughs> All right. No, I appreciate that because it's clearly grown quite a bit since you first started. Now, one of your tournament circuits actually features catch and release versus the typical five bass weigh-in. Which one is that? That is the Bass Virtuer. So uh, when we first started, like I said, we were the Cup Series. It was all shot in the dark. It was catch, rain, release. In 2018, they started putting together the Bass Virtuer, and it went live the beginning of 2019. And the Bass Pro Tour is 80 of the world's best professional anglers from across the nation, really across the world. We have several, a couple international anglers in that uh, league. And so that's where we started really our live broadcast, our live touring. And that's actually when I came on with Major League Fishing was when that tour started. So it's kind of near and dear to my heart. <laughs> um, <laughs> but those anglers, they do fish on the water 
And up through this year, it was catch, weigh, and release, and it was every fish count. And so it was as many fish as you could catch in your, you know, eight-hour day, and it was all live scoring. Every angler on the water knows the score real time, which is just an entirely different energy and feel when you're fishing because you, you're not waiting until you get back to figure out where you stand. You know right then you have two minutes left, and you're about to lose, you know, $20,000 if you don't catch a fish. And so it's just some of our anglers have said, you know, it's the most stressful and anxiety-riddled fishing that they've ever done. Most people fish for fun, you know, <laughs> and I think they enjoy it, but I just think it, it brings a whole different level to well, that tournament. I've got to admit, though, I understand from the angler's point of view how stressful it is, but from the television viewer's point of view, it makes for great television. It's really... Oh, it does. Yeah, it's something that, you know, you're sitting on the edge of your seat, you're wondering if that angler's going to catch that last bass to make the cut or to go ahead and win the tournament, and it's good stuff. It takes bass fishing to a whole new level. It does. It does. We were talking a little bit this year, you and I, for this call about this year, and that's kind of switched uh, just a touch. We have the Bass Tour is an angler-driven league, so we have an angler board, and they are able to make decisions or bring us decisions and things you know they would like to share or that they would like to see changed. And obviously, it's all weighed and vetted and all of that, but this past year, they came and wanted to try the five fish limit. And so, what you'll see as you start watching Bass Tour, or if you're already watching the Bass Tour, is that those Tournaments now do have a five-fish limit, but they are still weighed and immediately released on the water, and they still have the live scoring and everything. So while they're not catching 80 fish, you know, and counting 80 fish a day or 60 fish or however many, they're still catching those fish. They're just only counting the top five. And so it's kind of changed it a little bit. It's what, what they wanted to see was being able to compare their sport to the other circuits and other leagues as far as just apples to apples. And it's still a little bit different because of the live scoring. You know, I think, I think you obviously fish different when you know what's on the line and, and how much time you have left and that type of thing. But so very exciting television is just a little bit of a change for us. So I do like the fact that they're weighed in the boat and released immediately. You know, as mm-hmm. an amateur tournament fisherman myself, and not a very good one, I might add, you'll never see me on MLF, but I, I know that <laughs> <Dang> there's... <laughs> Definitely mortality. When when you're hauling a bass in the live well all day around the lake or on the river and you go ahead and, and finally weigh it in, you know, you catch it maybe 7 in the morning, weigh in at 3 o'clock, and then you release it. A lot of anglers don't even release it where they caught it. You know, that leads to mortality mm-hmm. to some of these bass. And the fact that you're catching them, weighing them, and releasing them on the spot, I think that's good for the fish and good for the sport. Yes, definitely. I do think that's definitely one of the things that we you know, started out with, for sure. Like I said, when we acquired FLW, um, they were, you know, the weigh-in, the typical weigh-in, which is what most, most of the entire sport is. So we have kept that in our lower circuits just because that's, you know, that was the history and the norm for them. We do have, I don't want to quote a number right now, but I know it's 98% above, maybe even 99%. Our mortality rate is very, very low because we take Excellent. We try to take excellent care of the fish during the weigh-in, after the weigh-in, you know, try to make sure that we ensure the fishery success as much as possible, even within that. All right. Well, let's talk a little bit about the Tackle Warehouse Invitationals that are on CBS Sports Saturday mornings this fall at 9 a.m. How do anglers get invited to the Invitational? Okay. So the Invitationals, 
that typically comes up from the Toyota series. So as we were talking through the circuits a, a few minutes ago, you know, that's kind of our mid-level, the Toyota series. They are basically opportunity for those semi-pros to fish close to home. They have different like regional events all around. And so they can move up through that as much as they, you know, would like. They can fish as many as they, they could fish Toyota series events all over the country if they would like to, or they can just fish the ones in their region. But outside of that, the top five pros from each U.S. division in the Angler of the Year standing for the Toyota Series will qualify into the MLS Invitational. So they basically qualify, you know, just by doing well in the circuit below them, move up into the next circuit. And in terms of the payout, what does a top angler potentially win if they're in the Tackle Warehouse Invitational? Okay, the Tackle Warehouse Invitational is up to $115,000 per event, and that's typically is an 80000 payout and then we have a phoenix mls bonus so if they run a phoenix boat and there's a lot you know there's some parameters to that what year it is that type of thing the winner can get an additional thirty five thousand dollars from phoenix for that so the top is up to one hundred and fifteen thousand dollars for winning those events they also with that get an invitation to compete in red crest 2024 which red crest is the bass pro tour championship so it is our top most prestigious championship that we offer and the win the shot to win three hundred thousand dollars there wow good stuff folks good stuff indeed yeah. so tune in saturday mornings on cbs sports and check out major league fishing at 9 a.m and if you want to find out more about major league fishing and all the circuits they have just go to majorleaguefishing.com that's a website to go to majorleaguefishing.com charity thanks so much for sharing all of this with us today on america outdoors radio yes thank you so much for having me look forward to seeing you soon Hunting and fishing are exercises in hope. Before you head into the woods, you hope to tag out on a deer you'll have to field dress. Before you make that first cast, you hope for a big fish to clean and fillet. When your hopes are realized, you'll need a sharp knife. Whether you sharpen that blade on a power sharpener in the shop or a manual sharpener in the field, WorkSharp has the tool for you. Look for WorkSharp products in sporting and stores near you or online at WorkSharpTools.com. Are you looking to reel in the marketing opportunity of a lifetime? Then set the hook because we've got it right here for you. America Outdoors Radio has sponsorships available, and we offer affordable platforms to reach thousands of listeners interested in fishing, hunting, and the outdoors. Find out more by contacting John Cruz through his website at americaoutdoorsradio.com. You're back in with America Outdoors Radio. I'm John Cruz. Modern firearm deer hunting seasons are opening up all over the United States this month. And if you haven't done some scouting yet, you are definitely behind the curve. But with us here to help you out is Robbie Denning. He is the author of Big Mule Deer, How to Take the Best Buck of Your Life, and Big Mule Deer, The Stories. He also hosts a podcast, the Rockslide Podcast, that you can hear on rockslide.com and all sorts of other podcast platforms. Robbie, great to have you on the air again. Hey, thanks for having me back, John. Always excited to come on. You live in eastern Idaho, and you live in a place that suffered through a very harsh winter, both eastern Idaho, western Wyoming. How is that going to affect mule deer hunting in your region this season? Well, I can speak from 
experience. It's affected it a lot. In that kind of triple point of Idaho, Wyoming, and even northern Utah, kind of where they all come together, you draw a 100-mile circle, 150-mile circle around that. Man, we are down a lot in that area. Um, I'm seeing about half the number of bucks that I usually see. And, you know, so if I, you know, a place that I typically hunt, maybe I see 15, 20 bucks over a couple of days. I'm seeing like five or six or seven. And the other thing I've noticed is it's just not a lot of older age class bucks. You know, it's kind of what we've learned from the good biologists out there that have studied this over the years on these hard winters. You lose, you're very young and you're very old. So all that seems to be out there right now, at least in that zone, is kind of your two to three year old bucks. And, you know, there's certainly others. I don't want to make it sound like there's none, but, you know, it's, it's the toughest year. I've had since 94. I always know where there's a really good buck by, you know, early September through my scouting and everything. And I don't this year. It's the first time it's ever happened. Wow. Well, let's talk about, I mean, obviously it's going to be tough where you're at, but there is some good mule deer hunting available throughout the Western U.S. this fall. So let's talk a little bit about how to help out that hunter that's listening today that hasn't had time or the opportunity to scout yet and they've got like a week maybe two weeks at most before the season opens up what the heck do these poor people do (laughs) and you're right you know that area that i just talked about that was severe winter as you get out of that more into western idaho eastern oregon eastern washington um, even a big chunk of montana and you know most of colorado and eastern wyoming they they had decent winter conditions. So, you know, it's not all doom and gloom everywhere. You know, Nevada and Utah did very well, southern Utah specifically, because they're kind of the opposite. When we have a hard winter, you know, they don't get the deep snow and the cold temperatures. They just get the water. And many of those environments are desert habitats. So it's a big boom for them. So back to your question, uh, with a lot of these rifle seasons opening in October, there's a reason rifle seasons are in October. It's still before the rut and uh, the bucks are not as vulnerable. In fact, I think it's the hardest time of year to find a buck myself. And, you know, that allows the game and fish to, you know, have, have more hunters afield. I mean, I get it. It's just part of the game we play. But the bucks are still available, definitely. And, you know, preseason scouting, even up to the day of the season, can be a great tactic. And if you're not after, you know, the biggest buck on, in the world, it's not quite as critical. But, you know, if you want to fill your tag, if you want to get out of that kind of nominal 10 to 20 percent success rate that we see across the west on these October rifle seasons, then learning your country a couple of days ahead and really being out at daylight and dark that first hour and last hour of the day, that gives you your best chance to see deer on their feet. I always look for bucks in the more secure habitats. And what I mean by that is, you know, steeper, typically brushier. You know, the deer have all rubbed this year. Interesting enough, they, they rubbed late this year. I think that was just due to the late start of antler growth. But, you know, I haven't seen a deer in velvet now for about 10 days. And so that means they're they're sticking closer to the cover. All the bucks I have seen, I was hunting as late as just Saturday, a couple of days ago, and everything is, is rubbed and very close to the cover. I'm only seeing them in that first and last hour of light, unless you just get lucky middle of the day and you know, a buck gets up to change beds and, and, you, and you catch him out in the opening. They're usually up for five minutes. <laughs> it's not very long, you know, that time of day. But looking for them in the rougher, steeper country, that's typically where the bucks are going to be. Now, if you have access to, you know, private ground or very low hunter densities due to a draw tag, then sometimes the bucks will be in more vulnerable areas. If it's private ground, you know, sometimes they're around the field. I and mean, it's, it's amazing how often that can happen. They can detect 
pressure. They really can. When there's not a lot of pressure, you know, they, they like to live easy too. But if there's pressure, lots of activity around, especially when gunfire starts, they're going to pull into those more secure habitats. So that's what I'm looking for this week up before the season is just hopefully you know places you've already seen deer in previous years. That's the place to start always. But if, if you're starting cold and just get out there in the deer country, talk to your biologist, find out you know, what parts of the units hold deer. Units can be hundreds of square miles, yet there may only be 50 square miles of it that's actually deer country. So just knowing where that is, getting out and hiking, using your optics as much, if not more, than your, than your feet. You should be in a good spot by opening morning, even if you haven't located the buck that you're looking for. Because, you know, these deer, every night, they it's like God sticks his finger down and stirs the deer herd up. They're doing something different a little bit every day. But if you can kind of know where, where the deer are and where you've been seeing them, that's where you want to be opening morning. You know, I, I love this advice. Number one, contacting your state DNR or fish and wildlife biologist, and especially the regional one, to get some ideas where the deer are is a great idea. And folks, most biologists, they're very helpful in that regard. Yeah. I, I contact them frequently when I cover stories, and they're always willing to share information with me. But number two, the idea of, you know, that, that hunter who has not had a chance to do, you know, scouting in the month ahead or in the weeks ahead. Just the idea of having deer camp a couple days before opening day so you can scout a couple days and then find out where the bucks are so you can hunt them on opening morning. That's a wonderful idea. And I don't think a lot of people do that, do they? Not really. I mean, I see it a little more than I used to. But no, most people are, you know, we're all working and everything, rolling in it. They're lucky we, they get the tent set up before dark. And, and if you know your area, that can be good enough. But, you know, I'm really talking to guys that are, maybe they don't know their area or they just really want to punch that tag this year. A few days prior to the season, that's going to be your best intel of the year because, you know, deer are in transition in October. They can move from high country to low country, even without snow. They're typically uh, moving from more open country to brushier country because of the things I talked about before. And so even scouting 10 days ago might not be as good as here just in the next couple of days before the season. You just got to be careful because you can spook the deer that, that you're trying to hunt, especially these older bucks. They are very sensitive to pressure, very sensitive to it. And I guess that brings up another question. With the archery seasons generally run before the modern firearm seasons, does that affect the scouting you may have done prior to the archery season? Oh, you bet. I just, the archery season closed here Saturday, and when you and I were texting back, I was on the hill. I hunted till almost dark on the last day of the season. So obviously that scouting information is is golden to me. I, I know exactly where I left off. So if you're able to archery hunt, yeah, that's some of the best information that you're going to have. If you weren't, you know, just, just remember, like I said, they're, they're sensitive to pressure. As long as there's a gap between when the archery season closes and the rifle season opens, and most of the time there is. They don't usually end one day and open the next day. Those deer heal up pretty fast. You know, you give them three, four days, five days a week with no pressure on them, they'll return to normal activity. And some archery seasons are so lowly hunted, you know, there's just not much participation. You don't even have to worry about it. But if it's been, you know, I can think of places in Utah where the archery season was like crazy busy, you know, same in Colorado. And, uh, you know, sometimes those deer need a little bit of time to heal up. And so that break between seasons can really help. We're going to have to leave it at that. But, folks, if you want to improve your hunting game when it comes to mule deer in particular, get one of Robbie's books. There's Big Mule Deer, How to Take the Best Buck of Your Life, and Big Mule Deer, The Stories. You can purchase them at rockslide.com. That's R-O-K-slide.com. You can also get them at amazon.com as well and other places, too. And what is the name of your podcast exactly? Is it Rockslide or something else? 
It's actually the Rock Slide Podcast, and the, the official name on all the platform is Rock Cast, and that's spelled R-O-K-C-A-S-T, R-O-K, no C. We spell it the cool way. So Rockcast, search it on all your platforms. It's me and several other hosts. It's slanted towards Mule Deer, but we talk about a lot of topics on there. We'd love to have people over. It's a free podcast. Jump on there, and you can learn more about Mule Deer hunting and all things Western big game hunting. All right. That's Rockcast, the podcast. And check out rockslide.com, too. Robbie, thanks so much, and good luck in the season ahead. Thank you, John. Always appreciate you, buddy. This portion of the show is brought to you by our friends at WorkSharp. And if you are hunting this fall, you know the importance of a sharp knife. You're going to need it for gutting that animal, butchering that animal, taking the hide off that animal, and there's a good chance... You have to sharpen it more than once while you're doing these things in the field. That's why a pocket knife sharpener or the guided field sharpener from WorkSharp are great items to have with you. Whether you're after deer, elk, pronghorn, or bear, a sharp knife helps you get things done after you drop that animal. Look for WorkSharp products at sporting goods stores, hardware stores, and ranch and home stores near you, or online at WorkSharpTools.com. That's WorkSharpTools.com. Hunt of a Lifetime is a nationwide nonprofit organization dedicated to providing hunting and fishing trips to youth 21 and under who suffer from life-threatening illnesses and disabilities. These adventures make big differences in the lives of those who participate in them, and in many cases are literally a dream come true that brings hope and therapy to their lives. Find out more, get involved, or donate today at huntofalifetime.org. That's huntofalifetime.org. Huntofalifetime.org. I'm Anthony Imperato, president of Henry Repeating Arms. Patriotic Americans are looking to protect and provide for their families now more than ever. Henry has over 200 rifles and shotguns to choose from. Made in America or not made at all. And backed by a lifetime guarantee. Order a free catalog, decals, and a list of Henry dealers in your area. Go to HenryUSA.com or call 1-800-958-4993. Thank you and God bless America. We've been telling you about Sportsman's Cove Lodge in southeast Alaska for a while now. They're truly Alaska's best lodge. Wildlife is abundant from bears and deer to eagles and whales. And let's not forget the reason you're here, the fishing. Halibut, salmon, lingcod, rockfish, true cod, and more. It's all waiting for you in abundance at Sportsman's Cove Lodge. Book your trip today at alaskasbestlodge.com. That's alaskasbestlodge.com for Sportsman's Cove Lodge. Attention small business owners. This could be the most important 10-minute call you will ever make. You could recover up to $26,000 per employee today. And all you have to do is make one short 10-minute call to take your business up a notch or bounce back from these difficult couple of years. Omega Accounting Solutions can help you recover any payroll tax overpayments you made during the pandemic. You may even be eligible to receive up to $26,000 per employee. All it takes is a quick, easy, free 10-minute ERC consultation to determine if you qualify. Omega is the small business champion with teams dedicated to maximizing tax credits. They know their stuff so well that CPAs and payroll companies even turn to Omega for ERC tax guidance. Call 800-300-9ERC. That's 800-300-9ERC. 
1-800-300-9ERC or visit omegataxcredits.com. You're back in with America Outdoors Radio. I'm John Cruz. We've got Dr. Tommy Floyd on the line. He is the president of the Natural Archery in the Schools program. And we want to tell you a little bit more about this program that is in schools all around the nation. Dr. Floyd, welcome to the show. John, thank you so much for giving me the opportunity to talk about our program and to meet you and share with your listeners. Thank you. Let's talk about the NASP, as it's known for short. Tell our listeners what this program's all about. The National Archery in the Schools program is a 21-year-old program. We're a nonprofit that began in Kentucky since 2002. We have involved over 21 million students in grades 4 through 12. We are an in-school program, meaning that in order to call yourself a NASP school, you must agree to at least a 10-hour minimum of in-school instruction sometime during the year. We operate in 49 states, several Canadian provinces, several other countries. We have 1.3 million students in the last season. Now that school has begun, we're just getting ready to see schools begin shooting sometime soon, October, November. Some of our PE classes, of course, have already had archery instruction, and we're really excited to be at the beginning of a school year. Let's go back to 2003. You were a high school principal at that time in Kentucky, and you have a great story about the girl in the purple bandana. Why don't you share that with us? Thank you. I'm very happy. It's a great story. It's a true story, and it's also one that I've seen played out many times since. So I was a high school principal, and a best friend of mine and I decided to jump in and become trained in NASP. We became basic archery instructors, and we offered the program district-wide in our school system for elementary, middle, and high school students. We probably ended up with 20-some. One thing I noticed early was that a lot of the students that showed up had a real genuine interest in archery, but they had never had any archery experience. I can tell you today that 66% or two-thirds of our current participants say that they have no archery experience when they meet NASP. But what was so unique here was that I had some really shy students, students who didn't have much to say. They were very uh, subdued, and they were always really pleasant and wonderful, but they were just maybe a little bit shy. Go ahead a couple of months later, and archery practice had begun. We have become very used to each other two or three nights a week. We've begun practicing for the future state tournament, which was to be held that year. And beyond the fact that the students all began to shoot, much better. I noticed right off the bat that many of them were becoming very outspoken in their ability to explain how much they enjoyed archery is so much that this particular young lady became basically the advocate for what we were doing with archery at our school. She almost came out of her shell, if you would. She went from being a shy, subdued person to someone who couldn't wait to tell someone else, student or adult, how great it was to shoot the Genesis bow, and how much she enjoyed archery. Even a better end of that story is she went on to be one of our first state champions in high school. And as much as I would love to tell you that that's the greatest part of the story about her being the first state champion, 
probably what it did for her interpersonal skills and her ability to communicate with others is even a better story. And again, as I said, one that I've seen played out again and again. As I travel now as president or before as vice president or any of my other roles before as NAS, the recurring theme that I hear from parents, grandparents, guardians, foster parents, they say the same thing. This thing involves kids and it gets their attention and they enjoy it so much. They want to talk about it at home. They want to talk about it at school. They tell you what all it does. They tell you how they're shooting. They talk about their teammates. They talk about their coach. In other words, my child, grandchild, etc., has become engaged. We know that based on our last survey that 58% of our participants say that NASP helped them connect with their school. 40% of them say that NASP was a deciding factor in academic achievement. It actually was a motivator for them to do better in the classroom. And for educators, an engaged student and a motivated academic student are two things that every educator needs to know about the National Archery in Schools program. It isn't just about shooting at a target. It's about helping kids. This is a great story. And folks, you're listening to America Outdoors Radio. We're talking to Dr. Tommy Floyd. He is the president of NASP, also known as the National Archery in the Schools program. And your program has made the news in recent weeks because... The Department of Education under the Biden administration has decided to withhold funding to programs like yours and trap shooting programs in high schools because they involve quote-unquote dangerous weapons. And we had Brian Lynn on from the Sportsman's Alliance a few weeks ago to talk about this issue and how he believes the Department of Education is misinterpreting this safety act that was passed by Congress. But I understand Congress is trying to right the ship and get the funding back. Tell us what's going on. Well, sir, I, I know that your your listeners probably already understand that the Bipartisan Safe Communities Act was simply an effort by Congress to do something to bolster student safety in light of the terrible tragedies that occurred in our country with the school shootings. There was language included, and about May, I began to get communications from many sources when one of our states had asked about the use of ESEA funds or Elementary and Secondary Act funds Secondary Education Act funds, these funds were one of the fund types that they were considering using to fund a portion of their NASP efforts in their school district. Now, what your listeners may not understand is that schools rely on a number of different funding mechanisms. They have local funding, they have state funding, and then they have federal funding. This particular question came, can we utilize federal funding in a shooting sports program, and the guidance from the education department was, no, you can't. And you can't because our interpretation is that the equipment that is used in that program would fall under dangerous weapons and therefore is prohibited by the current language. So during May, during June, during July and August, an enormous amount of communication took place. We received communication. We talked to lots of folks in the media. We talked to lots of folks in the House and the Senate. We talked to lots of conservation groups. And I'm happy to say that as of this morning, it looks like that the measure that would be required to correct, right the ship, as you said, but to change the ability of the language interpretation would be in H.R. 5110, which went through the House with almost unanimous, only one dissenting vote, and it went through the Senate In a consent agenda format, it is simply amazing that uh, a shooting sports prohibition, what it affected, 
seemed to galvanize so many people in the House and the Senate. I think it's a great example of what's really, really important. You have a program which affects kids all over the nation. We didn't look at this as a political issue, and I say that because we had bipartisan support, obviously, to get to where we are today. You had people in all walks of life and both parties and both sides of the aisle and all across the nation all talking about the same thing, the benefits of what the shooting sports do for kids. We love to say in NAS that the bow doesn't care what you look like or where you live. All students need success. And, John, we have, have students participating in our program who are physically challenged, emotionally challenged, academically challenged. They all find success by participation. Our elected officials obviously understood that. They fought for the language to be included, and now that language in the form of a congressional-approved 5110 is headed for the president's desk. And we could not be more grateful to the many conservation organizations, all of the DNR leadership, AFWA, and so many others who fought and pushed and kept this flame hot across the United States to get this done. We know that school administrators out there who try to utilize local, state, and federal funds are trying to do the best job they can so that they can adequately plan a budget. And any time that they would hear guidance that you can't do something, they're going to make sure that they wait until they know that the green light is given. So what we were concerned about was that students that might be on the verge of getting to experience in-school archery might not get to do that this year. But it looks like now, being that October is upon us, that the future looks good for students who might be able to experience it. That might have been on hold during this process over the summer and early fall. So we're just so grateful to so many. Well, this is great news. We are out of time, but folks, if you want to find out more about the National Archery in the Schools program, go to the following website, naspschools.org. That's naspschools.org. And if your school is not participating, contact your administrators at that school and see if they can bring it to your school too. Dr. Tommy Floyd, thank you so much for sharing this with us today on America Outdoors Radio. Thank you so much, John, for having me. And on that note, it is time to go. But here's hoping you are blessed in the days ahead and that you are enjoying this wonderful month of October that offers so much in terms of outdoor recreation. Here's hoping you get to enjoy all of it. After all, it is your outdoors. So get out there and enjoy it. (laughs) 